This morning is we're going to jump into Second Timothy, or First Timothy, rather. <laughs> Uh, we've been been working on this particular book now for some time, and we're in chapter four now. I'd actually started writing a sermon, to, a special sermon, to, to to do something else this morning, but I just was convicted as I did that that I needed to kind of stick to where I was. So we're going to be going to First Timothy chapter four, and uh, we're only going to be looking at just a few verses. Uh, but I just want to start reading at verse 1 in chapter 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will be falling away from, will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. And then just two verses we're going to do this morning. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. First of all, we need to kind of uh, determine exactly what he's, when he says in pointing out these things. So what things is he, uh, does the Apostle Paul happen to be talking about? Well, obviously the things that precede this. Uh, that he's encouraging Timothy not to listen to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons and, and all the other things that he has listed here. These are the things that he's talking about. And what he's encouraging Timothy to do as he began in the very beginning... Uh, beginning of this letter is to, in the midst of the fact that there were people there in Ephesus doing exactly what he's saying not to do, that he would be faithful in his calling and he would continue to to show people what the truth was in the midst of many uh, deceitful uh, uh, and unhonest and dishonest things that were going forth and were being said by other people. One of the things I want to challenge us with this morning is this, uh, is that Scripture has the ability to bind our conscience. You may have heard people talk about that one, t- at one time or another. Certain circles, it's something that's very commonly spoken, that phrase that, that only Scripture will bind my conscience. In other words, if, uh, if you want to you get me to change my mind about something, or if you want me to, to accept something that you're trying to teach me or to tell me, then Scripture must be your authority, not your own opinion, not what you think, not how you perceive this, that, or the other, but what, in fact, does the Word of God uh, actually say? Now, I want to say this, that humans very often go beyond this, because there are some statements that have been made at times that really are not biblical. It's very easy to show that they're not, but so many people have accepted them as if they were. 
And let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard anyone say something like this? You should be using the King James Version Bible, and if you're not, you're using something from Satan. I've had people say that to my face. There are certain people within the bounds of the Christian church who believe that the King James Version Bible is the only valid translation, English translation, that it itself is inspired by God. Well, let me just tell you, people, that that, that those who have that mindset are speaking out of ignorance. Seriously. Uh, Because if you really look into it, and what you would find is this. I say the King James Version Bible is a very good English translation, but I would say there's also some very much better ones today that are available to us. Uh, Have you ever heard anyone say something like, uh, the Bible condemns drinking of alcohol, period. That if you ever take a drink of alcohol, then you're drinking something from Satan. Have you ever heard anything like that? I know some of you have, but let me tell you, that just isn't biblical. The Bible condemns drunkenness. It is okay to take a little alcoholic beverage on occasion. Okay, it's not something we need to be addicted to and this, that, or the other. But, but what I would say to you is really with the picture the Bible paints is this. Is it's, 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 it's a blessing that God has given to us, and we should take advantage of that blessing. The problem comes when we overindulge in it. So my whole point here is this, is there are very common perceptions that people have. The Bible says this, or the Bible teaches this, when in fact the Bible doesn't. This is why we need to remember this. The Bible must be the thing that binds our conscience. We can't let the opinions of other people or what other people say determine what we believe. Scripture has to do that. And Scripture is the only thing that should bind our conscience. By acknowledging that, That scripture is the ultimate authority of God on earth. By abiding by that rule, you will be serving Christ Jesus as a faithful servant just as Timothy was. Jesus is the head of the church. He has told us in his word what we are to do and what we're not to do. Therefore, scripture is the only thing that can bind our conscience. And the only thing we should let bind our conscience. Timothy, like many of us, or some of us, he was was raised. We know this, that his mother, Lois, was a believer, and his grandmother, Eunice, was a believer. And uh, and we know that Timothy himself had become a believer before Paul really, I'm not, not necessarily, he may have met him vaguely at one point, but it doesn't seem as though he remembered him. But, but Paul came upon Timothy on his second missionary journey when he was in Lystra, and he was really impressed with this young man because he articulated the faith so well. And one of the reasons is because he had been taught by his mother and by his grandmother. 
Now, there's a lot of us in this room were raised in God-fearing, Bible-believing homes. Some not, some were. Timothy was. So he was very much prepared uh, to go on the mission field with Paul by the time that Paul got there. Not because necessarily of what Paul had done, but because of the preparation that had taken place uh, before that. That we have some among us this morning who are currently raising their children in the way in which they should go. And we're so thankful they're here. And we need to be doing as a church everything we can to help them in that difficult job. Because we know this, that even though we raise our children up in the way that they should go, that sometimes they fall away. And today that seems to be more common than it has been in past years. Lori and I are so thankful of, of, we always wonder, you know, why in the world did the Lord wait so long to bring us uh, into the faith? I was 30-something years old before I became a believer. And many of you know I was an atheist for many years and used to make fun of Christians and couldn't believe how gullible all of you guys were and the ridiculous things that you believed and this, that, and the other. Uh, wasn't that open about it, but those are the kind of the things I thought about a lot. Uh, but one of the things that we're so very thankful of is this, is, is none of our children will ever remember us before we became believers. Not one of them. So they've had the, the privilege of being raised in a Christian home, and that's true for lots of uh, folks that are here today. But it's not true for everybody. Not true for everybody. We need to be very willing to do what we can to help bridge the gap when we see things like that possibly happening. Uh, in other words, have every opportunity to, to have a, a good and positive impact upon the young people that, that are around you, whether they are your neighbors or your grandkids or, you know, kids of a friend or We need to interact with these young people. We need to be a positive and good influence upon them because for some of them, it may be the only exposure they get to Christianity as in in their childhood. And like I was saying before, we need to stand out like sore thumbs in things like this crisis that's fallen upon us because of this hurricane. We should be in our neighbors. We should be the first people out in our neighborhoods cleaning up roads and cutting down trees and checking on the people around the corner to make sure that they're okay and, you know, helping somebody fix their house and do this, that, and the other. We should be there in the middle of that. It's it's easy for us to be sitting here this morning just rejoicing because life is good again because now we have our power back and we didn't have any major damage to our house and and forget about all the people that actually suffered a good deal from it. And we need to be ready and willing and able to go out there and do what we can do to help those folks, and sometimes they're going to involve children. Timothy was uh, blessed by lots of good teaching from his mother and grandmother and from Paul. He's been with Paul now for some time, and, and we understand that one of Paul's things was this, is he saw himself as uh, a disciple maker, and, and he was making a disciple out of Timothy. And so he spent a lot of time with Timothy when, when they were together, and he spent a lot of time 
uh, teaching Timothy. Lori and I would say this, that we've been blessed uh, with having lots of good teaching over the last 30-something years. Uh, I, I feel so blessed that I was able to go to the seminary that I went to because I really don't believe that there's a better one in the United States today than RTS in Orlando. I had the privilege of sitting under the teaching of people like Sinclair Ferguson on a regular basis and R.C. Sproul and Steve Brown and, uh, and some of these other uh, preachers that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of, but they're very well known in, uh, in our circles, in the Presbyterian circle. Uh, and I just want to challenge you with this idea this morning. I hope that no one is depending upon me to teach them everything that they need to know. I hope that you're not coming here on Sunday morning and this is the only time that you are exposing yourself to the Word of God. And you're waiting for me to teach you. You and I live in a day of very great privilege, and one of the great privileges we have is this, is we have far more teaching available to us to a far greater variety of people than anyone has ever had in all of history. And we need to use that to our advantage. I have some favorite preachers. One of them is Tim Keller. And we listen to one of Tim Keller's sermons and during one of our Wednesday night things in the summertime, I think. I tell you, the person I really got to, to like more and more and more is a fellow named Derek Thomas. You ever hear of Derek Thomas? Do you have a favorite preacher? Other than me. <laughs> Seriously. Sometimes I sit in my office. You may wonder what I do when I'm in my office during the week. Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm listening to other men preaching. And it's something that I haven't done that much over the years, but more and more I'm doing it more than more. Because it's a way for me to be fed uh, so that I'm better equipped and better able to feed you. So please don't restrict what you are learning to just me. Don't do that to yourself. There's so much more available to you. And please don't ever say this to anybody. Please. Never say this to anybody. That I believe what I believe because Pastor Keith taught that to me. And he, he, he preaches right out of the Bible, so I know it's true. I'm serious. Please, 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 if you have any respect for me, don't ever say anything like that to anybody. Because what we need to be saying is this, is I have, I've listened to what Pastor Keith has said, and I've waited in the balance of Scripture, and it holds up to the balance of Scripture, therefore I believe it. 
We need to be able to say that I believe what I believe because this is what God says. It's not what Pastor Keith says. It's what God has said in his words. Remember, only Scripture can bind our conscience. So let me ask you something. How in the world do you know what is good teaching and what is not? Because let me tell you, there's a lot of good teaching available out there today, but there's a lot of it that's not even worthy of the garbage can. And sometimes you have masses of people following along with it. But there's so many things out there today, guys, that is being, being taught as being the Word of God, which I could very easily show you is not, in fact, the Word of God. And you need to be able to figure out what the difference is. How do you know what is good and how do you know what is not good. There's only one way. This would be real easy. It would be so easy for Lindsay right now. She's homeschooling her kids, and it takes hours out of the day that she could be doing something else, uh, and, and all of that. It would be so much easier if she could just push a button, and they would be pre-programmed or something like that. All the information would just, just flow into their head, and, and it would be there for them to use whenever they needed it. But we understand that things just flat don't work that way. That there's only one way for us to be protected from bad teaching and bad preaching. And that is to know the word of God ourselves. There's no other way. Without that, you are absolutely dependent upon people like me. And you should not be. And I harp on this all the time. Some of you probably are sick and tired of it. It's almost like every week Keith brings this particular topic up. But guys, this is how important this is. Let me just tell you something. You've been coming to this church for years. If you're not opening your Bible up more now than you were before you came, then I have failed. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not more in love with the Word of God now than you were before you came here, then I have, I, I'm not this stellar pastor. I am a failure as a pastor. Again, it's not something I can do for you. It's not anything that anybody else can do for any one of us. We have to take the initiative. We have to do it. We have to give it the time. In verse 7, Paul encourages Timothy to discipline himself toward godliness. How do you do that? What the heck does that mean? In other words, to actively engage in things that will help you grow spiritually. So what would those things be? Well, one of them is being in the Word of God on a regular basis. We have 24 hours in a day. Is it too much for us to take five minutes of that? And open up the Bible and do a little reading. 
we seem to find time to do just about anything and everything else. Right? But even that by itself is not enough. It also requires things like prayer. You'll notice every week that when we, during the worship service, before we actually get to doing the sermon, one of the things I always pray, and you may get tired of hearing me say this every week, and that is, you know, use this for your glory, but at the same time, enlighten us, teach us. I mean, do you ever sit down, do you pray before you open up your Bible? Just to say, Lord, please speak to me this morning, make these things clear to me. Participating in worship on a regular basis, whether it be private or corporate. So often we think about worship and we think about coming to church on Sunday. That's what worship is. But really, worship should be a descriptive thing that we use to apply to really every aspect of our life. In other words, you can worship. What do you do when you're mowing the grass? You're just like this automated machine and you sit there and you're just making sure you keep the wheels where they go and whatever and you're not paying attention to anything else going on or, or whatever. I mean, wouldn't that be a good time to... Did you, let me just tell you, it's okay to pray with your eyes open. I would advise you to be doing that while you're driving, okay? A car. But when you're mowing the grass, you're probably not going to cause any damage to anything, Okay? <coughs> Uh, or when you're vacuuming the floor, or when you're doing this, that, and the other. I mean, there's all kinds of time that you and I just let slip away continuously that could be spent doing something and at the same time worshiping. Don't be surprised that if every now and then you might come in here early in the morning and you hear me in here singing all by myself. Doesn't happen that often. But on occasion, I'll come in here on Monday morning. Usually on Monday morning, I'll be in here singing hymns all by myself. Another thing would be participating in the sacraments. These, these are what I call spiritual disciplines. Prayer, the word. Participating in the Lord's Supper as we're going to do this morning. Something that should come very regularly. and something that some churches have really fallen away from. It's inconceivable to me. The Michael and Cindy Herb went to a church in Honduras for probably five years and they never had the Lord's Supper one single time. Another means of discipline would be works of service. You know, I know sometimes that when we do good things, we have a tendency to think, well, God's really going to love me for this one. You know, it's a real, you look, look what I did. He's really going to love me a lot. He, I, I just got a bunch of brownie points for doing that. But you know what? There is a feeling that you get when you do good things for other people that is a good thing. Because you know that you've obeyed your Father in heaven. And you served him in a particular and special way by doing what you've done. I 
I just want to ask you a question this morning because this is kind of a measurement of where we really are compared to where maybe you think you are. Just let me ask you this. Have you been most concerned during these times of stress and trial and tribulation about you and those immediately around you? Or are you been more concerned about other people? It's nice to see we don't have gas lines now, isn't it? I tell you, Lori and I, or Lindsay and I went one night. It was late, and there was a, people, a bunch of people in line already. But what amazed me is how courteous and kind everybody was at the gas pumps. And the thing about it is, is I don't think for a minute that everybody there was a Christian. But they knew that it was time to be courteous and kind to one another and to, to look after one another, not just look after yourself and we understand that there were people that were hoarding gasoline and doing all kinds of stuff because they were just so afraid they were going to run out that's the only thing they thought about they weren't thinking about all the people that had to evacuate up here and all the people who were kind of found way back down there and all the emergency vehicles they could care less about that the only thing they cared about was making sure they had gas in their own vehicle that should not be the way with us should not be. You want to grow in Christ. If you really want to grow in Christ, it's going to take effort. It is. It's going to take effort. Not doing things the way that you've done them before. Not things just being kind of run the mill and routine and all of that. If you're sitting where you are, and you're thinking, you know, I don't really feel, think, feel like I'm growing as a Christian. Then I challenge you this morning to get up off your duff and get down to business. Or do you not want to grow? I mean, are you satisfied where you're at? You know, you've got that ticket to heaven. That's really all you need, and... Let me just tell you, if that's your mindset, you haven't read this hardly at all. Because that mindset would be shot down and nothing flat if you just began to read just a few pages in this book. We're to be active. We're to be involved. We're to be engaged. We are to be ambassadors of Christ into this world in every nook and cranny there is. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a hymn to prepare us for the Lord's Supper. This is a time of preparation, so I would encourage all of us to be thinking and reflecting upon what Christ has done for us and what Christ is doing for us and what Christ will do for us and all those things that we always talk about that are represented in this very special sacrament.